and welcome to Ask the Howlers, a new podcast from VMware, where we interview a variety of cybersecurity experts about the threat landscape, the culture of InfoSec, and our changing workforce. I'm your host, Karen Morstell. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the topics that are top of mind for security leaders and speak with people who are helping to move the industry forward. Let's get to today's conversation. In today's conversation, our guest is Brian Hurd, the Chief of Office at Aon. And just the highlights of the work in cybercrime investigations and forensics over the last few years, Brian, <laughs> they include the founder of the US Navy Cyber Counterintelligence Program, creation of the first information warfare cell at the US in European Command, design of the NCIS Computer Investigations and Ops Analysis Center, Director of Intelligence and Advanced Analytics at Microsoft's Cybercrime Center. And today, Brian is Chief of Office at Aon Cyber Solutions, which is also known as Straws Freeberg. So for a complete view of Brian's many roles and accomplishments, please check out his profile on LinkedIn. Brian, welcome to the Howlers. Thanks. And, and Karen, one I'll add just because I get asked about it a lot is I was also the chief of identities for the U.S. watch listing system, the no-fly list. Um, and that's right before I went over to Microsoft to be the uh, chief of intelligence for cybercrime. So I'm not responsible for what happened to everybody at the airports. I'm responsible for the database of terrorists being better. Uh, so there's a distinction. There you go. But, there you uh, go. Great to see you and, and looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, I, you know, you're just so highly qualified to have the conversation that I really wanted to dive into with you today on. And the thing that I get asked a lot and the thing that people are wondering is from a threat landscape and what it means to be ready for that, you know, planning for the future, not designing security for what happened last year, but what's coming at us. And I think we've got a pretty dynamic situation. Could you give us some of your insights there? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I will give a practitioner's view uh, of what I'm seeing in working either the mega breaches or uh, some of the other things. We've seen for a little bit a lull in ransomware attacks, although uh, those caused a great deal of discussion. And we'll talk about the insurance industry in general. While those have waned primarily because of, I believe, in, uh, two major causes, one of them positive, more people have backups and can recover without paying for the decryption keys. That leaves the ransomware attackers the only secondary extortion, which is the doxing or publication of stolen materials. Right. And as extortion goes, uh, that's a lesser extortion because it's more about you know embarrassment and a choice than it is about your company ceasing to exist because you don't have the decryption key. Uh, we are continuing to see uh, significant pressure and attacks on business email compromises and invoice scams and misdirecting of large uh, payments, wire transfers, especially around companies that are still either somewhat cash-based or work huge projects the construction industry, the manufacturing industries, where purchasing a $500,000 crane is uh, something that's not abnormal. And then a small change in banking information makes that horrific. Uh, we're also seeing, in some cases, 
a great deal of pressure on intellectual property theft by individuals, often called bad leavers. Um, and here's the thing that I'd like to change in the community. Sometimes they're called good arrivers for the company they arrive to. I'm mm. telling you, they're bad arrivers. They bring mm -hmm. materials from their last job that poison the well of your code. That is an awful, awful thing on both sides. So there's there's no bad mm. good. It's a bad leaver and a bad arriver. And then also uh, the uh, international, as always, nation state or corporate level theft of some of the cutting edge intellectual property many of the companies in the U.S. are making around autonomous vehicles, vaccines, et cetera. How about, you know, with the nation state, you mentioned a situation that's still ongoing um, and the escalation that's anticipated there. Do you see anything relating to destructive attacks or are you dealing with that very much within your realm of, of customers? Yes. When, when the conflict in the Ukraine first broke out, um, I worked with many companies that had uh, development facilities in the Ukraine. Many of you on the on this uh, session will know that Ukraine has a very robust uh, industry for coding and other things. Uh, some uh, chief security officers were calling about evacuating their employees and at the same time making sure they didn't leave behind intellectual property on the servers and things being left behind. Um, so that's part of it from the business is what is your resilience around a an area where a conflict might break out and how do you protect your people? The second part of it was then, as we saw during the first Ukrainian conflict, the wiper that ultimately hit Maersk was designed to take down Ukrainian companies. It was ransomware with no key. Uh, so basically a, a malware wiper. That kind of a uh, stray electrical signal coming from a unit in or around Ukraine up to a corporation is still is a concern. However, network segmentation controls and other things hopefully address that, but it's something that, that executives should be looking at. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you just uh, said the keyword uh, for one of the things that I like to talk to people about a lot. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And that is, the table stakes have changed for the types of attacks, being, pre being prepared for the types of attacks that we're seeing. Um, you know, what used to be baseline, you know, controls that we would talk to organizations about, definitely that ante has upped. Um, do you have some thoughts on the things that you, like the top five, or is it now the top 15? What, what, how would you characterize that? So I, I, I have a, an answer, and it's also the reason I moved over to work at, at Aon, the, the global insurance broker, um, from working at the startup with a couple of, uh, of the founders. Uh, the interesting part of it is, while all the standards, the OWASP and the CIS, 18 or 20, depending on which version we're using, uh, have theirs, in the insurance industry, we have what I, you know, euphemistically called the dirty dozen, the top 12 root causes that would uh, issues that allowed the spark or spread of a ransomware, a BEC and others. And these are usually uh, brought back around in the underwriters questions when qualifying for cyber insurance. I'll take a quick 20 second segue on this. There's a lot of misperceptions about the insurance industry that cyber insurance doesn't pay. It did pay so much, the market hardened and it became harder to get. There is a loop around that, that insurance doesn't understand cyber. 
oh, believe me, there's 200 questions you have to answer to qualify for cyber insurance. They understand. Um, and they directly map it to those root causes. Things like MFA. If you don't have MFA everywhere, they will just hang up the phone. It's a declination issue. If you don't have very robust backups, same thing. These dirty dozen are the top 12. And for all of you who are homeowners, and I mean this as Karen and I always do, to level this up, not water it down or dumb it down. We need to level it up for executives. These are akin to the door locks, smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, sprinkler systems, and radon detectors. Nobody had a radon detector in their house you know, 30 years ago. And home building companies didn't invent one. Insurance companies did. Same with seatbelts mm -hmm. and airbags. And just like that, you can't knit your own seatbelts, can't make your own firewall. Sorry. Uh, so the those kind of root causes and how they come back around in that discussion allows executives, and especially the chief risk officers, the chief legal officers, to have a pretty good construct about how they lead at the executive level the discussion of priorities at the technical level. When you talk about the dirty dozen, you're talking about things like EDR, network segmentation, NDR, MFA. Yeah. yeah. Those are fairly sophisticated from a control standpoint compared to what we were expecting companies to have in place five years ago. And that's the thing is five years ago, uh, cyber insurance didn't exist. Nobody had it. Five years from now, everybody will have it. Uh, we are in what I would call the tectonic shift of like you saw with automobiles, like you see with homeowners and other things, the virtuous behavior loop of insurance, moving the behavioral pattern up that chain and it becoming part of the regulatory and requirements, which forces the behavior to no longer be optional. Uh, you must have insurance. To have insurance, you must do. You must qualify with these questions. One of the things I want to disassuage everybody about, if you're unwilling to spend the money and be like, oh, I'm just going to go get insurance, that's not how it works. Uh, the underwriters mm -hmm. will assess your suitability for them to write a check. And if you don't have insurance, you're the insurance company. Those questions are even more important to you go get the questions from the insurance agencies. And if you don't have insurance, you better answer them better because it's your checkbook. So it, there's mm -hmm. just, there's a professionalism and, and, a, and a structure to the way this works that really does help behaviors get better. Airbags, crumple zones, side impact airbags, et cetera, same in cyber. Yeah, I'm waiting for the insurance, the cyber insurance industry to come up with the little thing that, you know, like the little uh, digital fob that we put into the car for monitoring how we'd really drive, right? right. So having that kind of capability for actually monitoring the key metrics within the environment, that it does not seem very far away. It, it actually it perfectly stated a great leading question of the witness. That is absolutely <laughs> underway, both not only from the insurance industry, there are a lot of startups, in fact, several of our mutual friends are doing a couple, on continuous validation of technical controls, continuous pen testing, continuous vul vulnerability scanning, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And those same things are being considered by uh, certain insurance agencies that have started with external scans, uh, the security scorecards and others of the world and, and, and bit site reports. They'll soon move to more internal and persistent testing um, to have you know, those behaviors validated as opposed to just an attestation at the time of questions. Yeah, I have to, it's not really the subject of, of, of today's conversation and I don't wanna spend a ton of time on this, but uh, I have to say that when we 
you know, in, in, a, in one of my past roles as a CISO, when we designed the control environment so that it was continuously validated, what was from a security standpoint, the thing that, that, that was stunning and the unanticipated result was how much better IT ran. Like overall, everything ran better because we were actually validating the fact that, that our environment was what we thought it was or what we wanted it to be. And that if there was an anomaly that kind of took it off the rails, we detected it right away. And right. Uh, you know, I just can't wait to see more companies actually embrace that. I think we're moving in that direction, but it's going to be kind of a hard fought battle, I think, on some fronts. So um, the I insurance companies are doing so much to drive us in this direction. I think that's really healthy, actually. And I think this allows a golden opportunity for chief information security officers, those of us who have been with them over the time, to finally stand shoulder to shoulder with our CFO, with our general counsel, with our chief risk officer, singing somewhat from the same song sheet. I'm not overcorrecting on uh, the insurance validation questions and the underwriters questions, and including there's a new ransomware supplemental with 20 questions you're going to answer. But that put together with the regulatory standards of the FTC, SEC, uh, CMMC, or others that your company has selected, those frameworks, together with those, you'll actually be able to give the boardroom a budgetary discussion about priorities, not a discussion about which firewall or which smoke detector really is the better one to buy. They'll talk about the good core behaviors or controls, leaving the selection of technology outside the boardroom appropriately so. Right, right. Absolutely agree with you. Um, in the time that we have, and one of the things I would love to dive into a little bit because your background is so impressive in the area of cybercrime and forensics and so forth. And, and it's the topic of threat hunting um, because for so long, at least from the standpoint of looking at things from a defensive standpoint, we were building a control environment. We were building protective things. We were building defensive things. But to be actively uh, involved in the threat hunting within the environment, um, I don't see that always percolating on a list of these are the, you know, this is not part of the dirty dozen. It's some, but it's something that I think would definitely be worthwhile for more companies to focus on. Could you talk a little bit about that from your perspective, just sure. the things you've seen? Yeah. Absolutely. So I will, I'll, I'll flip from the things that are on the dirty dozen over to threat hunting. Uh, incident response readiness, doing your tabletops, having pen testing by a third party. Um, pen testing may include, you know, external, internal application testing, cloud configuration testing, which is different than pen testing. I've had a couple of cases where somebody thought they bought both and they didn't, and it ended up in a problem. Uh, not to pick on our, our alumni, Microsoft and Azure, any of the clouds need to be configuration checked. So I'm not going to pick up anybody. Yeah. Um, then the issue becomes is after you get those things in place, absolutely, depending on your threat matrix of insiders, outsiders, nation states, or organized crime going after your money, or hacktivists is always kind of the rounding error on, on that list. I usually try and focus on the first four. Doing a threat hunt on the email system, making sure that there are no forwarding rules, there are no other things that the configurations match, that you know you are understanding the logs. And the struggle for all of us, and this is, Karen, you and I have seen eras in, in the community. Era number one was protect the perimeter. 
Era number two we're in the middle of is protect identity or go to zero trust. The next era is actually understanding the business transactions and being able to secure them, even when it's the right person, even when it's on the right machine, that they're not making a bad business decision. They're not misrouting funds. The problem with that is twofold. Security people don't understand the inside nitnoids of a business process. Two, neither do the business people. So the, uh, the next continent yeah. for us and those types of threat hunts, what's going on around your accounting division, what's going on around your intellectual property, those help to kind of tamp down on the noise, find errant connections. And one little bit of that they often find is what we all call shadow IT. We see it as a negative thing. However, yeah. what I will say as a CISO or as an executive, uh, not a CISO, well, eh, I guess I am in some regard, um, is shadow IT is unmet business requirements. Those people are not trying to go out and do bad things. They're trying to put something in place to get what they believe the core mission of your organization is done. Find a way to move what you're calling shadow IT mm -hmm. into an innovation environment where it can be protected and fostered. Therefore, it gets on the list uh, of IT as opposed to keeping trying to keep it off when they feel they need to do it for business. Those threat hunts may find yeah. many of those things. That is such a, a brilliant observation. I love that so much because the truth is you're right. If I, I call that persona the Professor Bobby with a P card, right? It's like I have I have stuff that has to get done, right? I have my right. P card. I'm gonna go spin up my instance. Um and so the idea is like okay Make that something that says this is what this is what happens, and we set that by policy and the configurations and so forth, so that when that does happen, it spins up appropriately. Um, and it has create a path for shadow IT to come out yeah. of the shadows. Yeah, yeah, a supportive yeah. path yeah. as opposed to a denial path. <laughs> yeah. Just to yeah, well, definitely, yeah. Well, honey's always a better uh, strategy than vinegar, right? For for winning that one over. So I think making it so that. It's like, yeah, you know what? You need to do this. You need to do it quickly. That's what we help you do. And we help you do it the right way. Um, and there's all kinds and of- final you know, bit on the threat hunts is, uh, the final oh, yeah. bit on the threat hunts is when you would do them. Uh, one, periodically. Two, before you buy a company in terms of mergers and acquisitions, pre-due diligence, bunch of other things you should do too. Or before you're getting ready to sell your company or hope to be bought by somebody. Uh, those kind of major changes before an IPO, just after an IPO, um, those are the times when changes in your business may cause enough confusion for spear phishing or other types of attacks or the integration mm -hmm. of a newly acquired entity. Those are times where you should factor threat hunting in addition to the unfortunately huge list of stuff you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a huge list of stuff. Um, but but so but yeah, I mean, we're the idea that we can we can do so much. We can have continuous monitoring. We can do these things that help alert us so that we're more aware. We're not just kind of trying to rely on a set of controls that we implemented two years ago. And we haven't really looked at lately, um, which I think happens more than we think it does or want to think it does. But the, but the idea that you're actively um, scouring the environment for things that could pop up and become a problem and that you're doing that, uh, it just, it's, it's an overwhelming number of things now for uh, CISOs and security teams and IT teams. 
to keep in mind. And I, I do like what you said about elevating the role. Um, I've been kind of championing that one for some time now. And uh, the CISO role is just not supposed to be the guy that you point to and say, I'm so glad you're handling security. Or gal, um, just so we keep up the... <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. I use that. I use that like the royal we. I guess I should be more careful about that. No, I, no. But I, and, I, and I, by I, the way, for those for those watching, I, I hosted Karen as the speaker in the inaugural meeting of the Seattle Women in Cybersecurity, so we joke about these things. That's true. Um, that's the true, uh, the yeah. other thing I'll say is one of the one of the things that we have to do as CISOs, you, me, and others who've been in the field for a while, one of the things they taught me when I was in the EDS form now HP and I founded their cyber forensics program, they said to succeed at the next level, you must almost abandon the things you did at a previous level. When you move up to manager, if you don't think time cards are important, you're probably missing the mark of your job. And when you move up to executive, you have to level up to a board and not try and explain to them what's inside a smoke detector. You have to understand how to deploy them across the planet in your factories, in your homes, without dragging them down into the fact that you know how to wire one. And it is a different level of calculus. I found myself, I've been in boardrooms thousands of hours now for various reasons, uh, you know, breaches, tabletops, or as a member of an advisory or director's board, uh, when I first got in there, I couldn't speak their language. And it, it, it is a learning curve for all of us. And it is a different way of thinking. And if we bring our old way of thinking into that room, it just won't land well. So it, it is a great opportunity to be what we all have aspired to be for years. But there's a there's a, a fitness program needed to kind of get up and understand how they really work. Yeah, definitely. That's an opportunity for us to all work together and create that skill set among the the CISO community, I think. Absolutely. Well, you've been you've been mentoring many, many along the way. So it's it's not a new topic among many of us, but it's somewhat not appreciated, I think, as people aspire into that that component. Uh, they think that, well, that's all the you know funding and and politics and and that kind of layer. Yeah, in the boardroom, that's the most important layer, and it's completely different. And it it gives all the money and attention and personnel to accomplish all the layers below it, so to speak. If we have some thoughts about security looking forward, what kind of advice, things I haven't asked you, would you really <laughs> want to make sure that the people that are listening understand about, you know, future ready, like this stuff's coming, things are changing. What haven't we talked? I know we haven't talked about the SEC regulations that came out. That's a yeah. whole nother topic that could take us another half an hour, but any other words of wisdom that you want to make sure people have in their arsenal as they're going forward. Gotcha. Uh, the regulations and frameworks are often market lagging, as we talked about in preparing for this discussion today. They're written after there's a bunch of problems and then there's a, now a standard put in so people stop doing that. The market leading is the underwriter's questions for the checks that were written last year based on ransomware and other things. The insurance market hardened and now it's actually softening. It's not going to go back to where it was before. It never will. You're still going to be required to have airbags. Uh, but the pricing is not going up at the horrific rate it was. So I think as CISOs and security individuals at any level, think about how to pick their North Star, their framework of frameworks, talking to the chief risk mm -hmm. officer, talking to the chief legal officer, 
and the business owner and making them all understand you want to have a good security foundation that allows not only compliance someday, but secure business operations today, legal compliance in the short term and long term, and the business to have security as part of the trust of the people who are going to use it. And as we see more unfortunate breaches among friends, the one thing a CISO is, brings to that board is that they trust the product. I trust you to hold my social security number or my bank account or whatever else it is I'm entrusting to your company. So that's the, the key thing, I think, that allows us to look up for solutions and then go down for technology. You bring up something there that um, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about yet, but there is uh, the DOCRA standard, which I'm like, I total, I'm totally in love with. The, um, the principle there that you talked about was needing to trust the product. DOCRA standard is a duty of care risk assessment. And um, you and I can get together offline and talk about it a whole bunch more. We get some get a chance. But the idea behind that is part of the risk assessment now is no longer, it's no longer just about what does my company need to protect? Like what what's my intellectual property that I need to take care of? But the information that I'm holding in trust for either a trading partner or a customer, what is their view of my responsibility for protecting that information? And that is now moving through state's AG and becoming the litmus test for what constitutes reasonable controls. What I just wanted to mention is between the insurance industry setting a standard for what it's gonna, what it's gonna take in order to get insurance, and setting a new standard for what constitutes reasonable security controls um, through the DOCRA standard and getting that established within the legal framework. I think we're going to see some very interesting, and, that, and now the new SEC regulations, I think we're going to see some really interesting developments that should up the conversation about where are we? It's not about, it's not about are we safe from ransomware? It is where is our overall control environment and how do we know that it's what we think it is or what we want it to be? Um, yes. And a lot of those newer standards are talking about not only the board level requirements to have executive oversight, they're also talking about the requirements and speed for reporting material incidents or incidents yeah, of various right. levels, um, right. which will drive the basic protect, detect, restore, respond that we all know and love. Uh, into being much more regimented and aligned with overall corporate due diligence, liability, and requirements. The great news about almost every single one of these standards, they all come from the basic same foundation. So again, a good overall program gets you 70 to 80% there for most standards with some tuning and, and application to the particulars. So it's not wasted effort to pick good standards and then align to the newer ones. Can I ask you, do you have a favorite? What's your favorite frame, your favorite framework of frameworks or, or standard? You know, the, back in 20 years, 23 years ago, we mapped the BS 7799 to the NSA standard to a couple others, which for you kids in the audience, that's the ISO 17799 with the NIST standard but those were the old names back in the in the ancient days. 
Um, and this was, you know, actually before the web existed for those of you a little younger than that. So uh, the, um, I like the NIST and other standards and the CI and the CIS for the controls because they're accessible to companies of all shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. Then if you're into government, you got to have the CMMC or at least as it evolves. And if you're in financials, you're into SEC and the others. And if you're in hospitals, you're in HIPAA. But if you got nothing else, I would start with the most generic, which are the NIST and CIS and others, and then figure out as your company evolves, as you acquire new entities, what security standards you would need to then fold into what ultimately is a crosswalk um, where you're putting things in place, but it adheres to various parts of overlapping standards. Uh, same yeah. with GDPR, CCPA, CPRA, if you're in California, uh, et cetera. I'm a fan of ISO 27001. That'll be a 7799 uh, in its, in its uh, multiple iterations. But, oh, yeah, uh, that's right. It's 27001 is the, uh, yeah, I, I was still one version back in my uh, in my riff on uh, <laughs> ISO 17799. It's now 20, ISO 27001. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But I'm I think, but you're right. Like, pick the, pick the, pick the over my, for me, it, it was idle. It was COVID and, ISO 27001 and 2, and now all the other family. But yeah. Absolutely. Um, this has been phenomenal. I really appreciate your time, Brian. And um, I look forward. Are you going to be at RSA? Uh, I'll probably arrive there a little bit later in the week. I actually have to fly to the East Coast because. Uh, uh, we're doing a, uh, a proposal. I'll leave the state out just out of, out of deference for a whole state's cybersecurity. Uh, to basically apply the very concept you and I have been talking about to 50 to 100 government agencies in one state all at the same time. Um, wow. So we're finally uh, really seeing some capability to give the states at, at the state level insight into a bulk capability of understanding what they have and understanding where they are based on, again, insurance or other standards. Then they can hopefully pick and choose the improvement projects and maybe even get them funded by going for you know federal government money. So if I can complete that on Monday and Tuesday, I hope to see you on Thursday at RSA oh, <laughs> for the tinker. Well, yeah. I hope, I hope to catch up with you there again. And uh, you know, it's just so exciting. We've talked about a lot at a very high level, but we've talked about a lot about all that's changing and it probably does seem like an overwhelming amount of new material um, that is coming down and affecting people who are in this industry. Um, on the on the upswing, on the upside of it, is that it's going to make our job so much easier if we can make that shift, right, to a control, look, thinking about things from a control-based environment, from continuous monitor that things are, are working and making sure it's a holistic overall perspective. Um, you know, li life will get easier, I promise. Sometimes. In some ways, yes. If we can, if we can optimize the things that used to take us as practitioners hours and days and weeks, and get them into a regimented process that does it while your people sleep, that would be great uh, yes, to give some you. crew rest to our to our teams. Absolutely. Um, yes, very much so. All right. Well, that's all I have time for today. I um, really appreciate again the time that you took and look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks, Brian. Absolutely. Thank you. 
You can watch the video live stream of this conversation on the VMware Carbon Block LinkedIn and YouTube channels. We look forward to seeing you next time.